everything that moves. I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown. Welcome to the Eagle Eye in the Sky football podcast. I'm your host, Fran Duffy. Joining me as he does each and every week, NFL Film Senior Producer Greg Cosell. Greg, it's week six. It's Tuesday night here. It's about uh, 8 p.m. And what's better than this, right? It's 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 grind time. I can't time. believe it's week six coming up. I know. It's that, unbelievable. That's crazy. Unbelievable. It, feel, it feels like we were just uh, having having lunch in July in Mount Laurel, New Jersey at NFL Films right. and talking about, wow, you know, the season's here and now it's week six or 10, 11 weeks in now. No, it's 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 crazy. And, and it's been a really interesting season. I mean, at the end of the day, as we discussed after the, the win on Sunday, the Eagles are four and one. And uh, I'm not sure many people expected the Cowboys to be four and one, but the Eagles are four and one. And that's good. And it's something that, you know, I actually touched on it earlier this week is that a lot of people are very, very upset, I think, in the Philadelphia area about how the Eagles are playing right now, despite the fact that they're 4-1. and one. I'd point back to last year. The team was 2-3 and three at this point, if, if memory serves me correct. You're either 2-3 or 1-4. And, and really, I just kind of touch on the fact that how often, every year, we talk about how the, the teams that are hot at the end of the year are the ones that get in. And the teams that are hot at, once you reach the playoffs are the teams that go further to the playoffs and end up in the Super Bowl. And really this first part of the year, through the first you know, six, seven, eight games, it's about collecting wins and just improving from week to week. Right. And, and I think one area to me that sticks out, and I know people will say that they gave up a lot of points in the fourth quarter, but, but that, that's not what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is, is what Bill Davis is doing with this defense. Because I think... If you talk to people around the league and watch tape the way I do, you know that this defense would not be in the top five talent-wise across the board. That's yeah, not would, saying anything out of school. No. That's would, just the way it is. That's fair. And what they lack really two things that you'd really like to have. They lack a pass rush without blitz, and they lack high-quality shutdown man-to-man corner play. So now, as a defensive coach, what do you have to do? You've got to build concepts, and you have to compensate for that. And I think Bill Davis is doing a really, really good job doing that. And what I'm starting to notice is multiple use utilization of different people now. That means the players are getting comfortable with his schemes. That means he's getting more comfortable with the players. And keep in mind... They have not played with Michael Kendricks, what, for three weeks now? Yeah, it's been three games now. And I guess he's probably not going to go this week. That It doesn't seem like it, but I think he's day-to-day at this right, point. Right, yeah. right. And, again, what struck me as really interesting was on that final drive last Sunday, Casey Matthews was on the field. So they obviously felt that Casey Matthews was the best choice in that critical moment. And Bill Davis has really done a good job mixing and matching personnel to create pressures they're very good with their pressure concepts. He's so good, He's so good at that, and that goes back to last year. Exactly. And, you know, ultimately there are times where guys will get beat because, you know what, that happens. And like we said, there's certain things they do have to compensate for. But overall, I think this defense is, is playing pretty much about as well as they can with Bill Davis pulling the strings here. And to your point, I, he actually talked about it at his press conference today 
uh, reporters asked him about Nolan Carroll and uh, the way that he's using him and obviously the dime package, which is new to this team this year uh, with Nolan Carroll's arrival this offseason. And he talked about, look, week one, we were just kind of feeling our way through. He missed a good amount of training camp and a good amount of the right. preseason because of an injury. And now he's able to use the full playbook with Nolan Carroll and be able to move him around to different different, uh, different spots on the field. He's used as an A-gap rusher, an edge rusher, outside, inside, as a, you know, in the slot, sure. uh, all over the place really and playing a number of different roles for this team. And what will be interesting this week when they play the Giants is normally when when teams line up in, let's say, three-by-one sets with the tight end, the inside guy on the three-receiver side, very often that dime player matches up to the tight end. And Carroll is not a big guy. It's not like I, I was studying the Giants today when they played Arizona, for instance, and they play the rookie, Deion Buchanan, as their sort of dime safety. Right. And he's six one and a half, two 220 pounds, and he would match up Clary Donnell. Donnell is, is 6'6", 265 pounds, and can move. So now the question is, one matchup we'll look at th- this Sunday is, will Nolan Carroll at times match up to Donnell? Because Nolan Carroll's not that kind of guy size-wise or will Bill Davis creates you know some other scenarios maybe it's Nate Allen on Donnell maybe it's Malcolm Jenkins on Donnell because I bet you'll see some of that if history proves correctly I think it'll be a mix I think right. you know, that's that's kind of what they've done in, in previous weeks uh, and really over the last two years and if you look at what Atlanta did to him this week a lot of double coverage for Larry Donnell and for Victor Cruz as well. Particularly in the red zone. Yep, absolutely. The Falcons' plan was clearly when the Giants got in the red zone, they were going to double Donnell, double Cruz, and play pure man with no help on the two outside receivers, whether it was Preston Parker, whether it was um, uh, Reuben Randall, or Odell Beckham as the game progressed. Now, they ended up getting burned by that when Beckham caught a touchdown, but we're just talking about the concept. The Falcons clearly thought that Donnell and Cruz were the more dangerous red zone weapons. It's really interesting to me watching this defense grow and seeing some of these personnel pieces, and you talked about it. And some of these guys obviously are not the the household names around the country that are known as perennial pro bowlers and uh, are seen as maybe the top player at their position, but I'm seeing a lot of these guys that have been role players in the past or have been bottom end of the roster type guys playing the best football of their career. A guy like Casey Matthews. I think yeah. the, the, the game he played Sunday was the best game I think he's played right, in Eagles right. uniform. Uh, Brandon Bear, obviously they brought him in. He, he had yet to see any regular season action. He played a great game on Sunday. Uh, was instrumental in that fourth, uh, in the fumble recovery by Seth Thornton in the fourth quarter that got run back. Uh, Brandon Graham, another guy, former first-round pick. Curry. Vinny Curry as well. Uh, you know, Graham – Another guy in, in every phase against the run, rushing the passer in coverage. Even he was, you know, the, the, he gave that one play up. Billy Davis talked about it today. He was in perfect. He was position in perfect for that, position for that play. Right. And two plays later, made another play in the flat. A lot of these guys are playing their best football that they've seen, you know, in the NFL at this point. And that's coaching, and yeah. that's understanding how to best utilize your talent. And I think Bill Davis is doing that. And one thing which I know you and I have talked about before, and Chip Kelly really preaches this going back to his days at, at Oregon, is when you play the up-tempo offense, you have to have a deeper rotation on defense. Because obviously when you play that style of offense, the defense can be back on the field pretty quickly at times. That's just the way it is, particularly right. in the NFL. Yep. So you need a deeper rotation. So you're seeing the Bo Allens, the Brandon Bears. You're seeing Graham get a lot of snaps because you need players, particularly on your front seven. 
and we saw that Matthews and, and Ocho kind of rotated quite a bit. I think their snaps were relatively uh, even. Yeah, now, they've been pretty. They've been pretty even thus far. Last now, obviously, weeks. when Kendricks. See, here's an interesting question to me, and I'm not sure what the answer is unless you have a feel for it. When Kendricks comes back, because to me, he's probably their most explosive defensive playmaker as an individual. Yeah. Will they still play dime? Or will they go back to nickel? Because you can't take Kendricks off the field. I think the plan would be that they would still play a good amount of dime, maybe not as much. So would, does Ryan's come off the field? I would guess that that would be yeah. the case. You know, and I, I think they, they talked about it some in the preseason uh, and through training camp and, and in, back in June as well during minicamps and OTAs. With Nolan Carroll on the fold, being able to play some dime, get D'Amico Ryan some, some, uh, some breathing room off the field, uh, just to allow him to play less right. snaps because he led the NFL in snaps last year. Right, so, and, uh, and obviously at his age, you don't want to you know work him that hard. He's a great player, and obviously the the captain of this defense at this point. Uh, but you know, it, it's nice to kind of give that guy a breather every once in a while. Yeah, so that'll be interesting because Kendricks, uh, to me, Kendricks before he got hurt, he was on his way to having his best season ever, and he's a dynamic playmaker type. Yeah, no question about it. And you know, the, when he comes back to the, this defense, he'll, he'll get even better. So. Uh, staying on the defensive side of the ball, we talked about their pressure schemes. We saw it in action on Sunday against St. Louis again because really this this pass rush was uh, was very productive last week against San Francisco. Uh, they've been productive throughout the season. While it may not have resulted in sacks, they're still getting the quarterback off their spot. They did a good job against Andrew Luck. Uh, they got four sacks against Chad Henney in Jacksonville. So we've seen this this defense produce a pass rush and be able to get after the quarterback. Uh, but really, it'll be really interesting to me to see how Bill Davis approaches this game against Eli Manning, who is really good against the Blitz. And for people who are not really studying the Giants closely, the Giants' offense is different. It's not the Kevin Gilbride offense from that they ran for, what, seven, eight, nine years. It's a different offense under the new coordinator, Ben McAdoo, and they get the ball out quick. In fact, the two quarterbacks in the NFL right now who get the ball out the quickest are the Manning brothers. Peyton's number one. Eli's number two. Wow. Eli gets the ball out on average in 2.1 seconds, and that's the equivalent of five-step drop timing. And it's really, really difficult to sack quarterbacks when the ball's out in 2.1 seconds. In fact, second-level defenders, if you started a linebacker at the second level and ran him directly at the quarterback without anybody touching him, he still wouldn't get there in time with 2.1 in 2.1 seconds with five step drop timing. So, this is a different Giants offense. Manning has been very efficient. It's you can see watching the last 3 games, Fran, there's a stability and a continuity now to this offense. It's balanced, it's controlled. Uh, there's it's it's in many ways a low risk offense. It's it's different. It's it's th for the people who have this picture of oh, just get near Eli Manning and he'll toss it up. That's not the way they they play offense no. now. This is very much a rhythm based passing attack. They like you know they, they run a lot of the the quick slants. The you know where they run right. double slants. A lot of in breakers. Side, a lot ton of in breaking routes. Uh, it's very it's not a, those run and shoot principles that we saw for the last you know decade plus. Not there in New York right now. Obviously, no, no, and and. Eli is, is a better player for it. Most quarterbacks would be because the offense helps your rhythm, helps the ball come out, defines it quicker because obviously the, the quicker the drop, it has to be defined. So it's it's really helping. And, and they run the ball. Now, they'll be without Rash Rashad Jennings. Yep. And Andre Williams is not the same caliber, 
caliber of back, but they'll run the ball. They'll run power. You know, Williams is what he was at Boston College. He's kind of an urgent downhill power runner who doesn't have a lot of lateral juice to him. Not 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 laterally explosive, but he will hit the hole. And he will move people on his touchdown this week, which oh, I'm man. sure you saw. He went right. He, he ran over Paul Warlow, Warlow the, the linebacker for Atlanta. That's right. Yeah, it, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a uh, a pretty sight for Warlow. Uh, Williams, obviously not a threat out of the backfield as a receiver. Well, either. caught a couple of balls this week though. Not a threat beyond probably a check down or right. and then you rally up and tackle him. He's not going to run wheel routes. You know, he's not going to run those right. kinds of routes. But uh, th- and and you mentioned it. Their run game doesn't change much with him with uh, with Rashad Jennings out of the lineup. They'll they'll run so weak plays. Uh, the power, power run game, inside zone, you know, they're they're a between the tackle smash mouth run game. And the the other area in this game that's really critical is no team through five weeks has lined up in eleven personnel, which is one back, one tight end, and three wide more than the Giants. They've done that more than any team in the NFL. More than likely, that means the Eagles will line up in their nickel. Now, Bill Davis likes to change up at times and sometimes he'll stay base because he feels comfortable with Malcolm Jenkins over the slot at times. But for the most part, they'll play nickel to that. So that's been the Giants' foundation. Over 70% of their snaps this year have had 11 personnel on the field. That means Cruz in the slot. And and the new wrinkle here is now Odell Beckham. Right. And he's an explosive, outside-the-numbers player. And he just played last week for the first time, caught a touchdown pass in man-to-man coverage, which helped the Giants win the game. So he's he's a different kind of receiver for the Eagles to face because their corners are kind of big guys in Williams and Fletcher, and Beckham has that dynamic lateral movement to him. Absolutely, and obviously just a beast at the catch point. We saw oh, him yeah. go yeah. up and get the football in yep. his touchdown catch last week. And really a guy that, and obviously he's gotten a lot of publicity because of the season he's having, but Larry Donnell, a oh. guy that when you know they go in those three-by-one sets, They'll play him as that backside receiver, as the you know the backside. We saw it against Washington a number of times against Detroit. He caught, caught a touchdown in the red zone, the same kind of play. Uh, I'm, and they they don't just do it in the red zone no. either. I saw him doing it at midfield against Washington, where he caught a quick slant. So That's, uh, right, I remember that play. Yeah, so I mean, he's one of those versatile guys that they're not afraid to move around. They play him in the backfield as well and have him run down the seam from the backfield. A versatile guy who's got a lot of production so but far. But you've got to have a plan in the red zone because you go back to that Washington game two weeks ago. Yep. He caught three touchdown passes, right. all from different alignments, all matched against different players. He caught one against linebacker Riley, against safety Merriweather, and against corner Breland, all lined up in different spots. The Falcons took note of that. They doubled him in the red zone, yep. along yep. with Victor Cruz. Exactly. So it, it's, it's interesting how things get put on tape and then teams have to react. There was one play in particular from that Washington game that – uh, it was. I, I'm not sure if it was his second or third touchdown. I, I, I might, might be wrong on the order here, but it came out. They came out in an empty set, and they had Rashad Jennings lined up to the left, and Eli brought him in. He noticed that it was man coverage. Then, after bringing uh, Rashad Jennings into the backfield, moved him over to the right side, knowing that he was going to have Larry Dennell down the seam. He had EJ Biggers on the outside playing uh, Larry Dennell with outside leverage. The run, moving to the running back to the right side kept Keenan Robinson closer to the middle of the field, and he had uh, Larry Donnell wide open down the seam. It was really uh, just one of those great plays you see from a guy like Eli Manning. Right, and Manning is very, very good before the snap of the ball, and and he'll he'll be aware of the Giants uh, of the Eagles' pressures. The one other thing to mention about this is the the Giants have started the same five players on their O line at the same position through five games. Yep, and it's an improving O line. Yeah, now. 
early in the season, we you know everybody wrote off the Giants. Their O line stinks. That you know it's Eli. They can't. This is a team that has gradually gotten better. Now I'm not su- sitting here suggesting they're now a Super Bowl contender, but this is a different team. It, it, for those who pretty much just have the their view of the Giants from let's say week one or week two, this is a different team now, a better team now. Yeah, I mean, inside they're getting a lot more production on the offensive line from a rookie, Weston Richburg. Who's a center in college yep. for four years, a four-year starter, and has played very well at left guard. No question. And then you, you have J.D. Walton and John Jerry inside at, you know, at center. You know, these right are guard, all pretty so. high picks. They're on, not on the teams that drafted them. Right. But these are not, you know, free agent type players. No, they're talented players. Yeah, and they're and they're getting production. And that's why. Look, their their running game has been very strong. Isn't this their year. whole O line? Wasn't Beatty a second rounder? Beatty, I I feel like he was either a second or a third. All right, he may so have been a third, but he was a, a high pick. Pugh's a first. Pugh's a first Wet, pick. Richburg's a second. Yep. Wasn't Jerry a second originally? Jerry, I believe, was a second round pick. And Walton was a second or third too, if I'm not mistaken. You might be right on that one. So I mean, so I mean, they they've got players who you know were were thought of highly when they came out of college. Well, we're speaking of the offensive line. I would be remiss if I didn't mention Dallas Reynolds is one of their first guys off the bench there. And there was a play where they they like to play you know especially down in the red zone they like to play in that heavy those heavy packages. Ah, it was a near touchdown. I believe it was incomplete. Where they had Dallas Reynolds actually lined up in the slot, and he ran a pivot, he ran a pivot route, uh, which was great to see from a guy that size. And it was a jump ball to Larry Donnell. I believe he had a foot out of bounds. He came down with the catch. He's Donnell is so impressive. He's going very up impressive. And making acrobatic yeah. catches. He's just really. I I had very low expectations. Yeah, you because know, they've had their share of tight ends over the years that have put up production, and I haven't watched much of them this year before. I guess last Thursday. And just watching him, he is a really, really strong player, uh, particularly, like I said, up at the catch point. Just the ability to go up, win contested catches, uh, make some of those acrobatic grabs. The way he moves for a man that size. It's it's really, really surprising. It a is. Of, a lot of credit to those guys to, yeah. for developing a guy like that. But uh, Larry Donnell, obviously, is going to be one of those guys that we're going to watch for this week. As far as the pressure, if you're, if you're Bill Davis going into this game, We've seen the Eagles show do a lot of these pressure schemes up front where they're showing six and only bringing four. You got to think that the illusion of pressure, the illusion of pressure, uh, is that going to be part of the game plan? You got to think that that's going to be a part of it, right? Where you don't, you're not necessarily bringing all that pressure. You still want those guys in coverage, planning on the ball coming out early. Yeah, you, you, what you want to do is you, is you want to get not only in Eli's head but in the protection's head. It's not you see people always think about blitz. Fran, just in terms of the quarterback, you're not just blitzing the quarterback. Right. You're blitzing protections. Yep. You're blitzing formations. I mean, if you're lining up with 11 personnel, th- there's different ways to do that. Obviously, you ha- can have a tight end on one side, and you can have the back offset to the other side. So theoretically, th- there's no short corner. But you're you're not just blitzing the quarterback. I'm going to be fascinated this week because of the tempo and speed with which uh, the ball comes out of Eli's hands. If Bill Davis blitzes as much, because there's also a school of thought, by the way, that a lot of coaches have, even coaches who like to blitz, that, hey, if if you're not going to get there, I don't want to waste a guy. Right, exactly. So it's it's not automatic. Just because the Eagles have blitzed, I think, something like 37 38% of all dropbacks this year. And think about who they've played. Okay, they've not played high-level NFL quarterbacks with a lot of experience in recognizing blitz. Right. Yeah, you're talking Kirk Cousins, uh, Chad Henney, Austin Davis, Colin Kaepernick, and Austin Davis. Okay. And, uh, and uh, you know, obviously Andrew Luck. But right, he's the only one. So at, I yeah. mean, without knocking the other guys, the really 
Luck, who's incredibly smart, and now Eli would be the only because Kaepernick's not at that level mentally yet. So you know, this Eli is sort of the first guy with the, that kind of experience, and he's very good before the snap. So it will be interesting to see how Bill Davis approaches this week because the last thing you want to do is waste guys. You know, just have a guy blitz who's not going to get there, and then he's in no man's land. He's doing nothing. Yep, no question about it. So flipping the script here, I kind of wanted to touch base on on their defense, the Giants' defense yeah. here. They're a team, obviously a big zone coverage team. Last year, then when they played the Eagles, and this is going to be another one of those situations now. We're seeing another division team. We saw it with Jim Hazlitt and the Redskins. Uh, they played them a certain way in 2013. They played them differently. Played them differently this year. Uh, it'll be very interesting. I'll be very interested to see the Giants again, a heavy zone team. Last year played the Eagles, I believe it was about two-thirds of the snaps in man coverage, so over over a two-game span. I'll be interested to see how they approach this week's game. Yeah, I think they're better up front, too. I mean, I, you watched the game last week, right? Oh, yeah. Jonathan Hankins really jumped off He's a load. to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was a second-round pick, I believe, out of Ohio State last year. Got minimal snaps last year. I thought he was terrific this week. I mean, we know that we, they're, you know, we, we know – what the offensive line still is for the Eagles, particularly on the inside. You know, you know what? A couple of things. I'm, I'm curious to see if Darren Sproles gets more snaps this week in the backfield. Because the one thing, and, and we know Shady McCoy's a great, it's, it's no knock on Shady McCoy. But the one difference between McCoy and Sproles is McCoy is a creator and a bouncer. Sproles hits it. And right now, the run game, as it works through its problems, and it'll get to where it needs to be. No question. But as it works through its problems, and you're looking for sustaining runs as opposed to big play runs, you're just trying to get some rhythm in your offense. Is this a game Sproles may get 11, 12 carries? Because say what you want about Sproles. He hits it. And if there's four yards to get, he'll get that. No question. So I, I just yeah, just something I was thinking about. And I think just listening to, to the way that Chip Kelly's talked over the last few weeks, because it's been a question, and obviously it's, it's funny because on Monday morning, everyone asked him where, where was Shady on the last drive, and they wanted to know why Shady wasn't in the game. And then the very next question was, well, how do we get Darren Sproles more snaps? So it's, you know, it's right, right, that. right, right. But, uh, you know, obviously I think – the Eagles want to get the run game going, and they're not going to. They don't. I don't think they want to overwork a guy like Sproles, especially if they're not getting any movement up front. Last week they were able to get more movement up front. Lane Johnson was back right. in. Uh, obviously had his up and, and ups Sproles and downs. has not been overworked through four games. I would say through no, five games. No, absolutely I mean, not. No, absolutely not. So I, I think that they're going to try and get. The, they're going to try and get the run game going. This is a I tough division we'll, game. Oh yeah. I mean, this is a game you got to win. Yeah. And and I I think that, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's always. It's great for people like us, you know, when we sit here comfortably and we chat a little bit about football and it's easy to act like we know everything, but coaches want to win the games. Right. That's there's only 16 of them, you know. And and it's it's easy in an abstract philosophical conversation to sit here and say, "Let's not overwork Darren Sproles," but they got, they have to beat the Giants on Sunday night. Yeah. And if Chip feels that Sproles gives them some options in the run game to to sustain, I mean, look, we know he's not getting 25 carries. That's not what we're suggesting. But if it means 10, 11, or 12 carries, that might make sense for this given game. I guess my my main thought going in, in terms of that statement was that 
against San Francisco, they weren't getting much movement right. at all up front, so they they kind of backed away from the run game a little right. bit, tried to put the ball in Nick Foles' hands. So that was why you know maybe Darren Sproles only got I, I forget what the exact number was, maybe sure. two or two or three right. four carries. Right. You know, so I remember him talking after that game saying, "Look, like we weren't getting any movement up front at all, so that's why you know we weren't we weren't having any success with anybody." You know, I wasn't going to put Sproles back there and have the same result. Which raises a question I brought up after the um, the win against – it was the San Francisco game, actually, where I, I brought up the question. Okay. Because so many people obviously tweeted about the run game. And, you know, I, may, I raised the question is, if you're a coach and, you know, you've got 30 seconds, 35 seconds, and the Eagles, you know, try to do this really fast between plays, and the run game is not working. Clearly not working for any number of reasons. The reasons at the moment of the game are irrelevant. Right. The point is you're not running the ball. Exactly. At what point do you sort of give up on the run and do other things? You know, and then, of course, people after the game, you know, fans say, well, you got to run the ball. Well, Chip Kelly knows that. But at what point? Because this is not a mathematical equation. There's no definitive answer to this question. He's not sitting on the sideline saying, "Well, you know, I've only run the ball 13 times in uh, this game. I need, I need, I should run it here." Because exactly. Run, you know, he's, he's trying, trying to, to get that yard. He's trying to move the ball. Right. Exactly. And you know, so it's it's always easy as a fan watching the game to say, "Oh, they should be running the ball more." You know, that's what they did. Well, at some point, you say to yourself, "I'm," you know, Chip Kelly says to himself, "You know." We're not running the ball. It's like when they got down in San Francisco to the to the goal line, you know, right. and they had third and one and fourth and one, and he made a decision based on what had happened in the game and his gut feeling. It's easy after the fact to say they should have done something else because it didn't work, but, you know, he, he doesn't have the benefit of, of sitting around like you and I are now and discussing it. He's got to call a play. Yeah, in 30 seconds or less. less you know, with him, it's less. less, less right, less. right. Uh, so... Transitioning here to the to the Giants secondary, uh, it seems like they're getting good play from the, from these corners back there. Obviously, uh, Antro Rolls is the guy that he's always been. He's kind of the glue. Yeah, and, and Prince Amukamara has really has played has, well has this year. Up. Yeah, I think I think yeah. he's playing better than in years past. Yeah, I mean, look, when a guy gets drafted where he gets drafted, and then people start talking about him as a shutdown corner, I'm not sure he's that guy, but I think he's now developed into a solid NFL corner, and and they're getting good good play. You know, you mentioned Roll and and. He's a guy who, I, for some reason, and he's been on, you know, he was there for the Super Bowls. Yeah, I believe so. Or, or the, certainly yeah. the second one. It's definitely the second definitely one. Definitely sure the second the first one. one. He's a guy that doesn't really get a lot of publicity and talk. He's a really good NFL player. And, you know, it's funny. He's they, The Giants play the big nickel. The Giants play him over the slot. I mean, he's been, in many ways, what the what Malcolm Jenkins is to the Eagles. He was drafted as a corner as well out of Miami. Correct. And he wasn't a true corner in the NFL. You know, he didn't have that kind of movement. And then they, I think with, with Arizona, they started moving him to safety and in the slot, you know, back in early in his career. But he's a really good player who allows you to do a lot of things defensively in the way that Malcolm Jenkins allows the Eagles to do a lot of things defensively. The last player I wanted to ask you about, Jason Pierre-Paul, do you think he's back to where he was no. before the injury? No. He has moments, yeah. but I don't think he's the same force throughout a game. Can he make a play? Yep. Yes. Right. But I don't think he's – you know, he he's an interesting guy, I'm sure, for, for this offense, you know, as they prepare. Because he's capable, mm. you can't act like he's not important. But I'm not sure you're building your plan – 
to stop Jason Pierre-Paul or to account for him. Yeah, no question about it. This whole defensive front is very intriguing just because of the length that they've got with him. They've got Kiwanuka, uh, Robert Ayers is there. Who's who's had some good moments, yeah, by the way. Absolutely. They line him up inside. They move him all over yeah, the place. And, and by the way, he's another first-round pick. Another one. Yeah, yeah. that's right. They're, they're, this team's full of, of these yeah, high picks. Yeah. Mike Patterson, by the way. Call, you know, still there. Another, yeah. Yeah, he's still there. Him and Colin is Jenkins. Is Beeson going to go this week? You know, I I listened to to Tom Coughlin's Monday presser, and I don't think he gave an update on it. Okay, uh, I haven't heard anything. They usually don't until practice comes around. Right, right exactly. Right. So yeah. that today was their day off, yeah. I believe. So we'll find out more, I guess, yeah. as the week develops here. The okay, I said this. That was the last question. I watched Monday Night Football. I'm sure a lot of you guys watched Monday Night Football out there. Russell Wilson and this Seattle offense just looked obviously. The, you know, Washington made a game of it, but. Talk about this this Seattle offense, an offense that I haven't gotten to, to really right. study since Wilson has right. really become the player that he is. Uh, we'll study it later on this year as uh, we get ready for that game. But uh, talk about talk about Wilson and really where he's at with his development. Well, I think the better question, to be honest, Fran, is this offense. Because to me, they're truly the most co- college offense in the NFL. And it's built on deception. It's built on misdirection. You know, you and I spend a lot of time talking about, when we talk about receivers and quarterbacks leading up to the draft, we talk about making certain kinds of throws that are quote-unquote NFL throws, receivers running certain kind of routes that you have to run in the NFL. They don't really do that. Now, of course, they have it in their playbook, uh, but this is not a team where when you watch them, you see, let's say, three-level stretch concepts, or you see certain, you know, the 96 combination where the, the slot receiver, you know, runs vertical and the outside receiver runs a dig inside, you know. You don't see those kinds of routes, those kinds of route concepts that are pretty basic to the NFL. This is a totally different kind of offense that's built for Russell Wilson because He's a really talented, athletic mover. Now, he does have a really good arm. We're not no saying question. he can't throw the ball. No question. But I think they understand that at 5, 10, and 3 quarters, there's certain things that he can do within the context of what would be viewed as conventional NFL offense. So it's an offense built on a lot of deception. They keep packaging off this deception. That's what they're doing. Oh, yeah. They keep packaging more and more plays off the deceptive elements. So someone like Percy Harvin, whose numbers, if you just look at an NFL stat sheet, are about as pedestrian as could be, that's irrelevant because he's a stress point in the way he's used. Now, the one thing they do that is basically NFL is, you know, they will line up with with Wilson under center and hand the ball to Marshawn or Turbin, and and their NFL runs. But when they put him in the gun, there's a lot going on, a lot that stresses the defense. And Wilson, obviously, with his ability to move, I mean, we saw last night the Redskins played with almost no discipline in the first quarter. It was unbelievable to watch. It was it was unbelievable to watch. Yeah. You know, you hate to say it because, you know me, I, I don't say anything negative about coaches, uh, but it almost looked like they, they did not practice to play that team. Right. And, and so he had some big runs. You know, and now you get to the other point. Last night was the first game that I watched with Russell Wilson where I actually thought he got hit a lot. Just the way the game played out, and right. I watched the whole game. Yep. I haven't gotten to it on tape yet, but I watched the whole game on TV. And, you know, uh, he's, he's a super smart player. I think, I think the next step for them, 
is to do more with the pass game off what they do with all these deceptive run game elements. I think that'll be the next step. Do you think that uh, it's really interesting, and I, I'm really, really excited to kind of dig into that team and, and watch what they do offensively. And the, Eagle, we, the Eagles play them. Uh, oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's we're, uh, coming we're, up. Yeah, it's the November. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we're less than a month away at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, but really, uh, just kind of, you know, I really want to dig into that offense. Do you think that, obviously, personnel-wise, on the outside, obviously Percy Harvin's a great talent. But guys like Jermaine Curse, Doug Baldwin, Golden Tate was there last year. They've kind of gotten by because, because of the scheme. It's because of the scheme. You know, right. it's funny. I got the same question from fantasy people after Teddy Bridgewater played his first game. And by right. the way, North Turner did a lot of those same things yep. with Teddy Bridgewater because while Bridgewater is taller than Wilson, he doesn't throw it as well as Wilson. And so he ran a lot of those same kinds of principles. Right. So I got the, well, where's Cordero Patterson? Well, Th- those kinds of offenses are not really built around throwing, you know, guys are not on a weekly basis going to catch seven for 120, not right. one guy. Right. You know, it, look at what the Seahawks have. It, again, they've got curse. Okay, Harvin only has 13 or 14 catches. It's not like he has, you know, 25 catches here, you know, and, and I think he's not even averaging 10 yards a catch. Right. Uh, so they've got curse. Um you know who else lines up on the outside? And, yeah, uh, they got Baldwin. Baldwin, who's yeah, yeah. who I think's a really good yeah. receiver, by the right. way. Doug Baldwin's a really good receiver, but they're they're not. It's not an offense. I mean, even last night, Wilson obviously played a terrific game. He completed eighteen balls, I think, for two hundred one yards. That's kind of a typical game, numbers wise, because of the way they play. Right, exactly. It's gonna. Uh, it's a very, very interesting team to kind of follow. An interesting case study, obviously, for the NFL moving forward and where we're at with all the talk of some of these mobile quarterbacks coming out. And uh, I guess I'll end, I'll end it with this: when you when you look at Russell Wilson and guys like Kaepernick, uh, and Wilson's a, to me a far better player. I one hundred percent agree. One hundred percent agree, especially in terms of playing the quarterback position. And that's far that, better. That, and that's the the question I wanted to ask was. When you look at him compared to some of these other guys that, uh, and I'm, I'm for some reason I'm drawing a blank on some of these other names here that have that have come out. Obviously the Manzels of the world, um, but where does he rank in terms of being able? Obviously the offense is completely different, but the ability to play the quarterback position and uh, really, I mean, it's a completely different offense. So it's almost it's almost apples to oranges, right? Well, the, in terms of the throws that he's asked to make, and say, you know, because well, here's here's the question you have to ask, and it's it's no knock on Russell Wilson at all, yeah. But the to me, the next level question is, why do they play offense this way? Right. Would right. they play offense this way if Andrew Luck was their quarterback? Right. That was a, yeah. That's a fair question. And my my guess would be no. No. And again, I'm I'm not trying to judge the players here. I'm just saying why they they've chosen. Now look, hey, they can say after the fact that hey, we saw the new NFL. That's all great after the fact, but you know they they play offense to play to what Russell Wilson does really well. More than likely, more than likely, if you asked him to run a regular NFL offense that required five steps, seven step drops. You know, a, a true drop back pass game, sit in the pocket. He can make all the throws. His throwing talent is is top notch. Right. But he's still five ten and three quarters. And you know what? It goes back to the quote that you brought up from Bill Walsh last week on this podcast. Right. Right. About you know just knowing the abilities of your players. And Absolutely. He had, you know, he had Joe Montana 
and obviously he, the the plays that he called with Montana were different than plays that he, he called, called for Dan Fouts when exactly. he had Dan Fouts. Or I'm sure different than what he had with Steve Young. And you, you called different it's plays. It's no and, knock on the player. Exactly. Russell Wilson is a great player. That's good coaching. That's great coaching. Right. But I think they've clearly built that offense for him and his skill set. And his skill set is different from you know a 6'4", 240-pound quarterback. All right, Greg, another week in the books here. I appreciate you joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. We'll see you here next week. We'll be talking Eagles-Giants. Hey, it's the bye week, but we'll still be here talking Eagles football. We'll see you here next week.